Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. You know, I, I was so blessed to grow up with parents that somehow knew how to make our house a home. And so because of that, I, I have amazing memories of my childhood. But if there was one word that had to sum up who my family is or, or what we stood for or who we, you know, what we did, if they said, you got one word to describe your family, that'd be easy for me. It'd be competition. It would be competition. Because whether it was a card game or whether it was Monopoly or whether it was a ping pong tournament on the carport, it was on. It was on, guys. And listen, I don't think that this is everybody's idea, but I'm telling you, in my house, there was none of this, let them win so they feel good. It <laughs> did not happen. If you won, you earned it. And uh, that's just the way it was. And, and the thing is, is that I think that and the fact that I had an older brother really did a lot and played a huge part in shaping my approach to life. Because with my older brother and his friends, I learned very quickly that playing with older, more skilled athletes allowed me to see that not only did I need to keep growing, but I got to see how they did it. I got to see real live examples of how they were better. And, and I think this concept is true and very important for anyone in any field. Because not only are we to learn from those who came before us, but we're also to gain confidence that it's been done and can be done well. My brother Kent was three years older than me. And I remember I would beg him on Saturday mornings. I would beg him to let me go with him to Chestnut Elementary School. Because you see, that's where the older cool guys played basketball. That's where they gathered. And I think the thing that, that made it so exciting to me was the fact that the stakes were so high. And, and what I mean by that is because if you lost, you were done for the day. You were probably done for the day because only the winners stayed up. And your most favorite word when you won was next, just next. And see, this made who you selected on your team very, very important. And everyone was very selective. So when I got the rare opportunity to play, and really that was only because we would get there early enough that some of the older guys weren't there yet and they needed someone to fill in, which was fine. You know, you get in there any way you can. But when I got that opportunity, I knew that if I didn't play well, I was done. But if somehow, somehow in my rare times of playing and I helped my team win, it was this incredible feeling. It was almost this undescribable feeling. And, and what I, I tell you that because I think it's true for all of us. 
There's something in our souls, guys, that creates excitement and joy when we are doing anything at a level that is above our normal. There's an excitement to that. And see, that's what the writer of Hebrews was trying to express to his people and now to us today. He was sharing with them that there is this race that God sets before all who are his. And even though each person's race is different, how we are to run requires applying many of the same principles. And then he continues by sharing exactly what we need to not only run and finish the race, but to do so in a way that honors God so that we too may become examples for future generations. So if you have your Bibles, if you would, if you'd open those, we're going to be in Hebrews, right? We've been there for a little while. We're going to be in Hebrews, and today we're in chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. Hebrews 12, 1 through 11. In the very first part, the writer makes this statement. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, remember, he's trying to get them ready for this race, and he realizes just how important it is to know what we are attempting to do, to know that what we are attempting to do has already been done by people before us. You see, that's why history and the recording of it is so important. And then he encourages them to not only learn from those who have already done this, but to allow it to give them confidence that it can be done and done well. So now, now this group is able to start their race knowing that it can be done, and the writer quickly moves to how to do it. Look at uh, at the second part of of verse 1. I'll call it 1B, and it, it, it says this. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Anytime someone is attempting to run a race, and especially a race of distance, it requires that their bodies are as light and lean as possible. And today, billions of dollars are spent on shirts and shoes and pants and socks that are specifically designed to help make this happen. And we see here that we are instructed to do the same. But instead of focusing on physical pounds, we're looking at anything that might weigh us down spiritually. And he starts with this. He says, anything that hinders anything that hinders. A hindrance can be something that is otherwise good, but is somehow adding pounds to our spiritual weight. This could be a friendship, an association, an event, a habit, a hobby, or even an honor. Let's say that you go home today and you find out that you've been given an award because you are an incredible neighbor who, who volunteers in the community. That's a good thing, right? But if you don't give that honor to God, then what can happen is then pride can slip in. And if pride slips in, now it becomes a hindrance and it slows us down. And the Bible says that it must be dealt with. So we ask ourselves this, is there anything today that's taking God's place as the number one priority in my life? And if there is, no matter how good it is, no matter how profitable it is, it has to go. 
The next weight that we talk about is this. It says the sin that so easily entangles. In other words, those things in our lives that continue to try and trip us up and slow us down. And the hard part about this is it's so personal because what I struggle with and what trips you up may be totally different. For example, and, and I told first service this, this is a very general statement, right? So some of you may say, oh, I don't like that. But let me give you this general statement. And if you need to send an email, it's T. Edwards, okay? <laughs> so just know that. But, but it, for many men, we tend to struggle with our eyes and our egos. But for many women, it seems to be geared towards the things of the mind and the heart. And you see, this is hard because it requires us to be so honest with ourselves and with God. And because it's ongoing, we have to constantly have these self-evaluations. It has to happen regularly. All right, so now we know that the race can be done. And we know that we have to become light and lean and how. And now we're ready to run. And verse 1 ends with this. It says this. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. This word continues to pop up all through the book, book of Hebrews. And, and in this case, it's because the race is a marathon and not a sprint. And because of that, that means it's going to be sometimes long and sometimes very, very challenging. And you and I have got to find ways to keep going regardless of what's coming at us. So check out this definition. Check out the definition of perseverance. It says this, a continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. And guys, we, will, we either have or we will experience all three of these in our own race. And you see, without perseverance, without this way to keep going, we'll either crawl to the finish line or we'll justify running our own race instead of God's. So how do we do it, right? I can't just leave you there. How do we do it? How do, how do we keep running when we face difficulties, failure, and opposition? Verse 2 tells us that. Verse 2a says this. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. It says, fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. And yes, we are. We are to learn from those who came before us. And we're allowed, we are to allow that to, to build confidence in us and know that. But here, he slows down and he reminds us of something. He says, remember, there is only one perfect example. There's only one who completed the entire race without fault. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And our eyes must stay focused on him and him alone. Because he is the ultimate example of Christian endurance. So let's look at the rest of verse 2 there, and, and it kind of tells us how he did it. It says this, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right-hand throne of God. Now, for those of you either have been or are presently in the working world, Maybe you've experienced this. I, I don't know, but, but I, I know I have. Because for me, the week before I'm about to go on vacation is probably my most productive week of the year. It, it, it's Even if it means longer hours or more meetings, there's just this energy in knowing that something better is coming, right? I got something better to look forward to. There's something about a reward 
That's coming. And I think the joy set before him, let Jesus do the same. You see, he too knew something better was coming, didn't he? He too, he knew something better was coming and that energized him. Guys, that, this joy gave him strength and it reminded him that what he was going through was worth it. You see, that's, that, that's what produces that perseverance. That's what gives us that staying power to keep going despite facing the most incredible trials in the world because that's what Jesus faced. So what was this joy? Two things I want us to look at. Two things. One, first and foremost, doing God's will and living God's way, running the race God's way all the way through always brought joy to Jesus. And it should us as well. You see, there's nothing that was more important to him than fulfilling all that God had for him to do perfectly. Secondly, Jesus had the joy. He had the joy of knowing that what he was doing and how he was doing it would bring forgiveness and salvation to the entire world for all who believed. You see, this was his joy. And it empowered him, it strengthened him to endure the cross and to scorn its shame. And the Bible says, and he sat down at the right-hand throne of God. Why? Because he was finished. I think sometimes we forget that we too have a joy set before us. We too have a reason to know that it's worth it to keep going and that there is an incredible reward. Because we are reminded that as believers, we will also spend eternity with God. We will spend eternity with God when our race is finished. But not just that, the cherry on top, he gives us the opportunity to point others to him. He gives us the opportunity to share that with others by the way we run, by the way we speak, and by the way we act. You see, that has to be our fuel. It has to be our fuel because that is where perseverance is found. Verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose weight. Lose weight. Let me do that again. If you don't want to lose weight... That's probably not a good thing. So let me do that again. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Maybe we can lose weight too. I don't know. Sorry. All right. I love this quote by John Gordon. I think I've shared it with you once before, but it's worth repeating. Listen to this. It says, we don't get burned out by what we do. We get burned out when we forget why we do it. Jesus knew his why. And guys, it empowered him through lies, betrayal, pain, torture, and even death. He knew his why. He knew it was worth it. What about us? Is our why strong enough today for us to say that no matter what comes, it's worth it? Is our why strong enough? Are we remembering daily that you and I have been given the greatest gift in the history of the world? 
Do you know that you and I are empowered by God? I think sometimes we forget that. We are empowered by God. There is a peace of God living in us. And like Jesus, we have to allow that to strengthen our run so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Here. Here's where the author starts to begin to work on our mindset, right? He's like, hey, quit feeling sorry for yourself, right? Yes, it's hard, but we now know others have done it. And guess what? They did it all the way through death. And because you are hearing this, that means you're still alive. So let's go. He goes, we've got a race to run. Verse 5 and 6. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses a son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord, dis- the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now, I'm probably using myself as an example too much today, but when I use my family, I get in trouble when I go home. So... <laughs> I was the powder in my family, right? If I got disciplined, I was, I was the powder. I was the one that sat in the corner and acted like a baby. And I, what I was really saying was, you know, either I, I'm not wrong, so I don't care what you have to say, or you're just picking on me, and it's not my fault. I hate that now. Oh, I hate that. But can I tell you this? We're not small children anymore. We're not small children, and it's time to grow up because here we see that God's discipline is to be seen as an act of love. You see, he loves you and I so much, and he wants us to experience all that he has for us. But for that to happen, we have to continue growing, and sometimes that requires discipline. I love what this commentary had to say. It said this. It said, discipline is the divinely ordered path to a deeper relationship with God, and there is no other path. To refuse discipline is to turn our back on growth and on love. You see, this mindset became so important. It became so important concerning discipline and the way we see it that the writer devotes the next five verses to make sure that you and I understand it. In verse 7, he says this. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? There's there's two things. There's a lot of things in that verse. But there's two things I want to talk about today, and I hope that you get. And the first one is this. Please never forget this. As a believer, you and I are children of God. We are children of the creator of the entire universe. pretty amazing. And for him to train us in the way we should go will require times of us learning what to do and what not to do. And for us to hear that and to react to it successfully, our hearts have to become so thankful that the creator of the universe is spending time on us so that we can be all that he created us to be. Please get that. Get that mindset. 
God does not punish us because he's mad at us. He disciplines us because he loves us. If we can get that today, things change. And then the second part I want us to get from that is for parents or grandparents. We have to discipline in the same way. All correction and punishment must be intended to grow our children into being all they can be because of our love for them. And it cannot be done in wrath or in anger. I can't tell you how many times I wish I would have walked away. Young parents, please, if you are upset or mad, walk away, take a breath, and then come back and do it. But then you have to flip that. And you have, to, you have to know that if we truly love them, discipline has to be included in their lives, even if it's hard. Because without it, we are setting them up for failure. Verse 8 through 10. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who discipline us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. You see, those who consider themselves beyond God's correction are really saying to God, I'm equal to you, and I don't need your advice. What a scary, scary place to be. And then verse 9 is saying to us, it's saying, hey, if you're willing to be disciplined by an unperfect earthly father, right? If you're willing to be disciplined by that, shouldn't we listen to an all-knowing, perfect God? Guys, I will be the very first one to admit that I made mistakes as a parent. Sometimes my punishment was too severe, and I think other times it was too lax. There were times when I probably punished the wrong one because the second one gets caught, right? And sometimes my kids probably got it because I had gotten it that day as well. That's just being honest. You know, I, yes, I wanted to be a great dad, but you see, the great news here is God never made that kind of mistake. God never made any mistakes in discipline or any mistakes at all. Not once, not once has his discipline ever been misplaced. And his only goal for correction, his only aim was to make us more like him because that's how much our God loves us. And then our last verse here is verse 11. It says this. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You and I are going to respond in discipline, or to discipline, in a way that results in how we think about it. In other words, our mindset, what we think about discipline is going to control the way we respond. Some will, will accept it with resignation. In other words, some will accept it half-heartedly, right? Some will accept it with self-pity, thinking we don't deserve it or it's not our fault. 
some will be angry and resentful toward God for it. And many in our world are today. But some, some will accept it with the love and appreciation for what God is doing in our lives. And guys, if we can do that, if we can, can, can have that mindset change, what we have to understand is, yes, at first it will be painful. But if we're truly able to see discipline for what it really is, eventually it produces pleasure and peace that the rest of the world cannot even understand. So, so here's what we know this morning. As believers, God is going to set a race before us that will train us and strengthen us to do what he's called us to do if we run it his way. We know that. And we know that, that there's going to be days where it's 70 degrees and the light wind, and it feels like you're running downhill the entire day. Can I tell you something? Enjoy those days. Thank God for them and enjoy them. Because there are going to be other days where it's cold, it's wet, and it's rainy. And it's going to feel like your track just went straight uphill. But regardless, regardless of our surroundings or what stretch of track we're on, you and I are told that if we will do certain things, we'll have perseverance and we'll get through it and we'll do it God's way. One, remember we're told to gain confidence from those who have gone before us, to gain confidence from them that it can be done. We're told to become as light and as lean as we possibly can by getting rid of anything that endangers our run with God. We're told to run with perseverance because we know our why. In other words, run with perseverance because we know it's worth it. We're told to keep our eyes on the one true perfect example and we're told to allow God's discipline to shape us into who he wants us to be and guys I got a first hand look at that last week I got a first hand look unfortunately we, we got the news that, that one of our uh, members of our, of our praise team had suddenly lost his life, his wife. She, she had a massive heart attack and, and she never, ever recovered. So Mike, Carolyn, and I, we, we made a visit to see if there was anything that the family might need or, or we just wanted to go and just try to, try to love on him. Because here's what you got to understand. Here's someone whose race went from being incredibly awesome with a perfect family to within hours, he was now a single dad with a two-year-old and a five-year-old daughter. His path suddenly changed into a Mount Everest-like climb. And so we went and we tried our best to, to make sure we, you know, to, to remind him and to comfort him and to love him. But amazingly, he started comforting us. He started to comfort us. He told us that God had already started surrounding them with godly people who, who were putting stuff together to make sure that his girls would be fine in the future, including their college. And then with tears running down his face, he assured us that everything would be okay because he could feel the hands of God and the arms of God putting him around him. And then suddenly, 
he went into another gear. It was like a runner that was sprinting to the finish line. And his voice got a little louder and he became more confident as he explained to us something. He said, guys, I realize and I know that I have to have time to grieve. I get that. But I will not be alone. And he said, in God's timing, I got to get back to the work that God's called me to because lost souls are going to hell and that breaks my heart. His whole world, his own race had just turned absolutely upside down. And he's thinking about other people. All because he knew where to turn and who to focus on. And because of that, he's able to still run and he's praising God through it. Guys, his real life testimony blew me away. It blew me away. And it reminded me that with Christ, all things are possible, even in the toughest times of our lives. Just an incredible, incredible testimony. Well, today, we have, we have been reminded of the importance of not forgetting or remembering, right? We're to remember those who came before us. We're to remember to focus on Jesus. We're to remember that God's discipline shows his love for us. And today, if you would, as we partake with the bread and the juice, as we celebrate communion together, Luke twenty-two nineteen 19 reminds us once again of the importance of remembering. Luke twenty-two nineteen 19 says this, and he took bread, speaking of Jesus, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, gave it to them saying, do this in remembrance of me. And he took and he ate. Then, in verse 20, he continues, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The blood of Jesus that cleanses our stains white as snow creates this new covenant that would never, ever, ever have to be repeated again. As Jesus said, it is finished. Sin and death were now defeated forever and ever for all who believe. And what Jesus was saying is, may we never, ever forget. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure where you are in your race right now. I'm not sure if you've got some things that are trying to trip you up or some hindrances that are trying to slow you down. But I know this. If we will be honest with God and we will go to him and just simply let him know what we're dealing with, he already knows anyway. But if we would just be so honest and go to him and remind us that, that we're going to run this race in a way that's light and lean, by taking the forgiveness that God gives. And we have to focus our eyes on 
Jesus. Discipline by God is not because he's mad at you. It's not because he hates you. It's not because you're bad. It's because he loves you and he wants you to be all you can be in him. He wants to take you where you're at and bring you his way. He loves you that much. So if there's anything in your path today, anything that's, that's, that's causing you not to run this race, well, the altar's open. If you need to do business with God, do that as we sing this last song. Maybe some of you today, maybe for the first time you're going, hey, how do I get in the race? There's a prayer team in the back corner that would love to talk to you about that. They'd love to talk to you about this Jesus that we keep talking about and share with you who he is and what he does. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, just to to talk about running a race your way, running it with perseverance and running it focusing on Jesus. May we do that, God, as we leave. May we do it as we go out throughout the week today. And may we, God, Lord, run in a way that points others to you. May we see what an incredible opportunity it is to live and share the gospel with a lost soul. And God, for those of us who know, may we continue to grow and may we be who you've called us to be. God, we love you. I thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.